Welcome back to another episode of A Gift from Adversity. My name is Julie Love. I'm your host. Thank you very much for tuning in and happy holidays. So today we have a guest from the UK. And before I introduce my guest, I want to introduce my book, which is called A Gift from Adversity. It's the same title as this podcast, A Gift from Adversity by Julie Love. And the subtitle is Overcoming Sexual Abuse, Domestic Violence, Bullying, and Homelessness. And it's available on Amazon. If you're interested in, it's available. And if some, if you know somebody who's struggling on these issues, it's available also on Amazon. So I want to talk a little bit about the podcast. This is episode 91, and I'm very grateful to have guests from all over the world. And then when I started this podcast at the beginning of this year, 2022, I was really hoping to bring more conversation to the adversity, but not only that, the tools that people use to overcome so we can together overcome these obstacles in a more efficient way and better way. So let's introduce our guest. Hello, Steve. Thank you so much for being here. Hello. How are you? Good, thank you. So, Steve, let's introduce you to our audience. Can you tell our audience who you are, where you're coming in from, and what you do? And also, if you have a website or social media, we can share. Sure, yeah. Uh, my name is Stephen Kalis. I am a podcast host from the southwest of the UK, a, a small town called Yeovil. Um, and if you're interested in my social media and stuff, you can just find me at the Steve Kalis Show everywhere: Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. We are we're experimenting with all of it unwisely sometimes, but we're we're on everywhere. What is your podcast about? The podcast. Uh, it changes its face quite a lot depending on my mood and what I want to record. But for the most part, it's a journey through the human experience. We interview people who are experiencing extraordinary grief and things that no human being should have to endure, but somehow they do. And then they come on the show to teach us about how they sort of put up with it and how they have thrived. Um, but sometimes the show is a little bit sort of out there. Our last guest was a man who believes that he has been in contact with a Sumerian god for 20 years via email. And our guest before that was a man who believes he's been abducted by aliens 60 times. Uh, and he was a super soldier in an intergalactic war so it just depends on the <laughs> depends on the guest but it's a journey through the human experience that's what i like to uh, describe it as very interesting okay well thank you so much and happy holidays to you and to you thank you <laughs> so steve let's dive into our conversation about a gift from adversity so the first question is adversity can you tell our audience what was your adversity? Well, broadly, there was a lot, really. But broadly speaking, my problem was always that was always my own brain and was always myself. I was never quite wired the way everybody else was, and uh, I was a very, very happy boy. My my family life was was amazing. My mum is just a an angel we had a great life growing up so it was always unusual to me that I felt so different and felt so separated from everybody else and that difference when you're a kid can lead to unwanted attention 
uh, from bullies or from people who don't understand your sense of humor or what you're trying to do because you're still sort of carving a personality for yourself at that age. So I was bullied a lot in school. And then as I got a little bit older, I learned to deal with the bullies by uh, fighting back. But I took that too far and I became quite a violent character and I got arrested a lot for for fighting and for fighting in the streets and that sort of thing but because I felt that it was important to make up this character that is tough character as a shield to protect myself from everybody else it doesn't work but that was why I was so violent and getting so much trouble so my brain has always let me down it led to me having problems with alcohol and drugs and for a long time being homeless living on the streets migrating from place to place just to try and stay warm and go to where where the food is so to be honest there was a there was a, a lot and it's spread out uh and my adversity depends on what what age you want to come in at because uh but the answer most of the time will be my own mind unfortunately so my life is defined as a as a struggle to control my own impulses and the way that my brain works well, Steve, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, let's go back to your childhood a little bit before you got into adult life. So you mentioned a little bit about being a different and then having um, bullied. Like, how was it? Like, who were bullying you? Like, was that your like co- um, students, like you no know, friends or maybe teachers? Like, you no, know, who are the right. main people? Sure. I didn't have a lot of friends when I was very, very young because I was just, it wasn't, you would, you would be sort of uncool by association by sort of being too close to me. So no one wanted to risk their, even at that young age, kids are very aware of their, their, or their, their place in the pecking order. So, but before, you know, when I was in infant school and even the very early years of junior school, people didn't want to get too close to me in case they got some of my uncool on them. So I was being picked on a lot by older boys, a lot of the older boys, and then eventually boys in my own year. And I'd get beaten up and my mum would come to the school to try and sort the problem out. But then it would just keep happening because I was weird and I was unusual. (laughs) I was an unusual boy and people didn't want to spend time with me and it was very very sad and that would go on to shape a big part of my personality but I was attacked a lot I was beaten up a lot and the two of the most vicious the the things that stained my personality the most and the thing I remember the most is the subtle bullying it was people making it was people who were smart making jokes at my expense without me realizing it was people who were making me the a target without me realizing i was becoming a target so it was a very subtle mental sort of bullying as well as a very uh, physical bullying to begin with and then like i said i yeah but to, to be fair you this interview has come at a very good time because it's only in the last three weeks that i've started to really process my life up until this point because i'm now a father my son is going to be too soon and i've only just realized it's i don't know if you've any of your guests have ever experienced this or if you yourself have experienced this but i found recently my brain is forcing me to deal with certain trauma or certain unresolved issues from my past um i'm waking up in the middle of the night after having a dream and that dream is a memory um and it i'm chewing on it all day until i process it and deal with it so i'm so this podcast has come at a good time because uh the bullying side that i would completely forgotten about or i'd suppressed it's only the last few weeks really that i've 
been dealing with it? So um, I'm very sorry to hear that. And you mentioned a little bit um, after um, you became an adult, like you started to fight back and you got arrested and stuff. So how how are those situations? So people, are the same people who are bullying you at school or completely different people who start to bully you? No, this was, I think if I'm honest with myself, a lot of this, as I became as I became a man, when I became sort of 17, 18, 19, 20, I filled out. I became you know, six foot one. I became much larger, much stronger. And I was able to defend myself. And because I'd felt so weak and so underfoot and so embarrassed to be myself for so many years, suddenly I had this power. And I had the power to intimidate someone or I had the power to hit them and make it hurt. And for a, for a while there, uh, I was lost in that. That was a, I enjoyed it almost. And the thing I was enjoying was the shift in power. Suddenly people were talking about me as someone who was, you know, who didn't want to get to fight. I mean, it's all nonsense. It was just a character I was creating. And I was very good at um, exaggerating the stories. So I would come out of it always, always the tough guy. You know, the stories would become more and more spectacular and they would become wild. And But the, the point of it was to make myself seem more tough. So I started to get more and more violent and I got arrested a lot. And a core memory for me is when I was maybe 18 or 19 is my mum came to the police station because I'd been arrested and I was in their, their little jail in their cell. And my mum sat with me the whole time I was in there, which was, I don't know, it was like 19 hours or something I was in there the whole the whole time. Um, and that was just one of many, many times I'd been arrested uh, for being violent. And it led to me not being able to get work. Um, it led to me not being able to achieve my career goals later on that I wanted to achieve and stuff. So uh, it was terrible, really. It was a really, I mean, I haven't actually spoken about that out loud for a long time. That's the first time. So <laughs> that's a, it's a lot of interesting emotions bubbling up there. So when you got arrested and then you mentioned a little bit about alcohol, like a different addictions as well, like, you know, can you explain a little bit? Is that like a combination where, like, you know, when you are meeting with this crowd, maybe you got introduced to hard drugs or maybe um, alcohol with the yeah. people that you probably met in jail, like, you know, in those kind of circles? Sure. Well, I was lucky enough to never actually go to prison for extended stay. Uh, I kept going to Crown Court, but then getting just lucky enough to never going to prison so i was always spending time in the the police cells that they have on site um, but mercifully i never went to prison um but the the drinking drugs uh i was i was always abusing especially alcohol it, our culture here in this town was to drink from a very early age you we were 13 and 14 years old and we were drinking all around town go to a park we'd get really drunk and then it was a sort of badge of honor to get so drunk that you'd throw up and fall over or get into a fight or smash a window or destroy something because those stories sell really well on the you know on the playground or at school or in the classroom then yeah, the more destructive you were and the more people sort of feared that part of you the more uh respected you became it's really it's really toxic and I, I guarantee it still exists now at the same school um but i was i was very very much um caught up in that and i at that age between the age of sort of 15 and 20 it was mostly drinking i was drinking a lot i was drinking heavily uh i was just looking to i was looking to again it comes back to my brain my brain sometimes is a, is a gift it enables me to be creative enables me to have all sorts of 
positive personality quirks. But at the same time, it does feel it is a curse. I am cursed with sometimes feeling trapped in my own brain. See, sometimes it's a desperate and very loud scramble, and no one person on earth understands how it works so even my my lovely partner misha who is my fiance and the love of my life it's even difficult for her to understand how my brain works sometimes but drinking and the drugs was especially the drinking was a way to just for a minute escape quiet my brain down and uh just be a little bit more outgoing step outside of myself and when i got older in my early mid-20s that's when i started to experiment with uh cocaine with uh speed all sorts all sorts of drugs because they they were even better they made me even less aware of my own brain so they were even more of an escape but it's temporary and it comes at a terrible cost uh and it's a price that you don't pay until much later on so i wouldn't say i was ever a, a drug addict but i was a very very heavy drug user for many years because i was just trying to put my consciousness somewhere else yeah i don't have to deal with it here does that make sense am i just waffling on is that <laughs> yes thank you and then what kind of health side effect that you had experienced after using these hard drugs and alcohol did you have did you encounter later on like any health issues associated well, with no, not health problems. Uh, not not so far. Not so so far. We're okay. But it's it's the the toll that you pay is on your mind because whilst you are escaping these things, these incidents, these parts of yourself that you've you need to deal with and you need to process, you need to understand why your brain works a certain way. Whilst you're trying to escape those things, you aren't dealing with yourself and you aren't dealing with your own mind. So you're just delaying it, and one day you're 30 years old, you're about to be a father, you're in love with the, this amazing woman, and suddenly you have to deal with all of these things that you've done and said and this this person that you've been over the last sort of 10 or 15 years. So the, the, the price has been mental because my my depression and my anxiety now is is still pretty terrible. I just, luckily I have the right tools and infrastructure in place to keep me from falling too hard. I know some people develop some of the heart disease or like you know, anything that it's related to. Um, not yet. <laughs> yeah, so I'm, I'm glad that um, it's not happening. Or kidney. Like I had a friend who um, had like a heavy alcohol um, addiction that led to death at such a young age for black clots and then kidney failure as well. So um yeah, that's yeah. awful. But no, mercifully, I was never, I was never, I would never have said, I, I would have said I had a dependency at some point, but never, I wasn't, I wasn't at a point where I was waking up in the morning thirsty for a drink. And I, I, I managed to stay just shy of that uh, because I was using it more as a, as a social tool, as a, you know, I felt like all my superpowers were dormant until I'd had a drink or I'd had a, yeah, a spliff or a bit of coke or whatever it is. Those things were enabled where they were, they were shortening the path between who I was and who I wanted to be, who was a personality that only ever came out if I was, you know, drunk or stoned or you know, whatever it was. But luckily, I would never, I don't, uh, maybe, but I mean, luckily, I, I wouldn't have said ne I was never an alcoholic. I was never a drug addict, probably. I was just very, just a heavy user. But maybe I need to address that as well. <laughs> And how old are you right now? 
um, about to turn 32 in a few weeks. And uh, so, I'm in a good place now. Best, it's the best and happiest time of my life now. And I don't regret any of these things. I mean, we haven't touched on a lot of the, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that have happened, a lot of things I've had to, to process, especially the last few weeks. But if the way I see it, if I remove any one of those things from my own timeline, then I might spoil the ending or where I am now. Like, for example, if I didn't go to, if I didn't get arrested so many times, if I didn't do the drugs, if I didn't make all these stupid decisions that at the time were awful and really affected me, I might never have met Misha, my fiance. I might never have had my son. You know what I mean? All those things might have been pivotal to the road that led me to where I am now, which is a, a very happy place. So let's actually go back a little bit. So bullying association first, but then did you experience any depression or anxiety? Like how was your mental health stage when you were experiencing all this adversity growing up? Yeah, terrible. My my depression is is my sort of lifelong companion. It's it's always there. It's always the 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 worry, and and I have that I have struggled with that to such an extent where I've. I mean, this is this this is a story that I'll tell you that I don't tell a lot of people, but before before I met my partner Misha, uh, I'd about a year before that, wherever it was, I'd separated from my partner of three years. And then I was sure I'd hit a point where I was so miserable, but to a point where I wasn't really feeling anything. I would just sort of, my mind and body had just sort of shut down. So I took out a loan from the bank for about 15,000 pounds. And I decided, because I knew I was going to kill myself. I thought, I'm, I'm going to commit suicide, but what I want to do first is I'm going to just try and live, try and find a reason to live. So I spent £15,000 just traveling around the sort of south of the UK, having experiences, meeting people, doing things I haven't done before, and really going wild with that. Lots of drugs, lots of drink, really sort of destroying myself because I knew I was going to kill myself anyway. So why not? Yeah, you know, I've got no, there's no fear of dying. So it doesn't matter how many drugs I do or how much drink I drink because I'm planning on dying anyway. So there was no, there was an expiration date. So I got home to my hometown of Yeovil after I'd spent the majority of that 15,000. And I thought, you know, anyway, I'm going to do it. And uh, I'll give it a few days because I want to make sure that my, not my affairs are in order, but I want to make sure that I've written the right notes and that people know I love them and that sort of thing. And then secretly just sort of check out. So when I was thinking this to myself, I received a message from my friend Josh White asking if I wanted to go to a pub to meet his new girlfriend. And I thought, well, Joe, it might be the last time I see Josh, so I'll go with him and have a great night. Now, his his girlfriend brought her friend called Misha. And Misha and I immediately hit off. And we just, something happened. It was a bit like, and this is, and I'm not a spiritual guy, but it was a little bit like the universe was saying, here she is. She's here. You've been looking for her for all these years. Uh, here's a reason to live. Here's a reason to keep going. Uh, and she's going to love you. You're going to love her. And it's going to be great. And it, it just, I felt that sort of straight away. And we, we hit it off straight away. And, you know, here we are a few years later, we've got a two year old son and we're engaged to be married and life has never been better. And it, I would not have known that I would have died not knowing that there was 
greatness and there was love and there was laughter and there was so many things on the other side of the darkness. Does that make sense? Yes. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. Depression with your companion, that's just like really powerful. Can you explain, like when people don't understand how bad the depression is, um, I know it's stemming through the bullying and then you said you had a great parents and stuff, but because some people are coming from dysfunctional family, like my case as well, and that definitely contributes to that. But in your case, it was like you're kind of unfit and then getting bullied, and then that like add to your depression. How mm-hmm. do you describe people who's never been bullied and who's never had this kind of experience that when you say depression is my companion, how do you explain that? explain that well it's a little bit like there's uh, a constant sense of foreboding where i mean even if i'm not feeling depressed there is a small part of my brain always going you know okay any minute now you can wake up tomorrow and not want to get out of bed and it's almost like the depressive figure the depressive shadow that i've become walks in tandem with me wherever I go and then every now and then we'll just decide to take over my personality like a demon or or a ghoul or something it just every now and then I'll be possessed by this person who is just a a fraction of myself it is a sad witless energyless um being that inhabits my body and and it's very very hard to shake off and for the longest time I was ruled by this thing because I just couldn't I was a I would just succumb to it. So whenever I feel this depression, the depression would hit and it would just, all my progress would be undone. It feels, so that's how, I mean, if that's the best way I can describe it to anyone who is unsure. It feels like there is a constant dark malevolent spirit following me. And every now and then it decides to take control and I have to wrestle back control of my consciousness. And it's horrible. It's exhausting. And it's, I've had to do it ever since I was 13, 14. Um, I'm much less intimidated by it now. I have the tools to combat it. But when I was a kid, I was frightened. Why do I not want to get out of bed? And you could say, I mean, when you said uh, yeah, I had a good childhood, I had a great mother, uh, which is key. <laughs> my father I didn't meet until a little bit later on. So my and he wasn't around. So my mother was a was amazing, and she was a defining figure. But even you know, I didn't know how to communicate it. I mean, the the thing with my son as he grows older, I will make sure he has the vocabulary to explain. I'm feeling this way. I'm I don't want to do this. My brain feels like this. My body feels like this. And so he can explain to me exactly how he feels, and I can help or do what is necessary. But when I was growing up, I had no vocabulary for it. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know why I felt sad all the time. Why did I want to cry all the time? Why do I feel nothing now? It's it's a really. I grew up having to learn every nuanced part of my mental illness myself and how to navigate it and i i it was awful it was just horrible and i don't like i didn't even really like talking about it that's how difficult it was having to to navigate that but it's important to talk about it obviously but today's a different world and it's much more acceptable to talk about it now um but otherwise man yeah yeah it's been it's been rough 
So in UK, the situation is different than America. And in America and then in Japan, it's definitely different. Say in 80s, when I was growing up with the domestic violence, sexual abuse, nobody talked about it. It was never talked about it. And it was almost like normal, like the parents beat the kids up and then just tolerate it. And alcohol usage, like, you know, we have vending machine in Japan. And anyone can buy it. So, like, we started drinking, like, at, like, fifth grade, sixth grade. And then people were throwing up. And I'm, like, I'm done with this. And there's, like, no, like, IDing. I've never seen IDing, like, you no know, getting alcohol um, in Japan. And then there was no mental health, like, resources or conversation around that. How was it in the UK growing up um, in your generation that were there any, like, guidance counselor or school or anything that it was accessible for you? I don't know. But, but again, the, the issue that we face, an issue that I faced, um, especially at a school like the school I went to, you couldn't, your social status was everything. It determined whether, yeah, the cool kids wanted to spend time with you or whether the girls wanted to spend time with you. You couldn't afford to be vulnerable like that. And it, that's a small petri dish of the larger culture in the town at that time or even in the uk at that time 20 years ago or you know, 25 years ago whatever it was when, I was when i was growing up it is not acceptable for men to be anything less than in control or masculine and actually weirdly this is one of the thoughts the other day i had a sort of dream i had a dream about my father my father's still alive and we still see him every now and then but We've never had a proper father-son relationship. It's always been quite complicated. But I had a dream about him the other night, and the dream was where he and it, and it, it happened in real life. And it was weird that I dreamt it, but my, my father's father, so my grandfather, died on their driveway in the family car of a heart attack when my father was sixteen. And for the first time, I thought, man, that must, uh, you know, thirty-one years old. I thought that must have been horrible for my father to have experienced that. And there was a few things that he must have had to endure as a young man that must have been terrible. But he grew up in a terrible time in the UK where men had to be masculine. They had to be masculine. It's not, you couldn't talk about your feelings like that. You had to just you had to be a fighter, or you had to be, you know, especially here where there wasn't a lot of money in this town. You had to be tough. You had to be tough. And those fathers have bred children my age who risk not being able to communicate properly how they feel because our fathers were totally incompetent when it comes to their emotional vulnerability and we had to learn manually to, to deal with that so that's what it was like and uh, it's not it wasn't okay it wasn't okay to, to be sad all the time yeah it wasn't okay to be traumatized do you think the culture is shifting in 2022 in uk a little bit if I've got anything to do about it, yeah, I think so. Because my, I've been especially militant on this since becoming a father myself. Because, I mean, I've noticed that there are companies who have realised that there is, um, you know, there is social clout or a social positivity if they suddenly invest some money in mental health or a mental health scheme. It looks good on social media, plus it benefits people in the wider community. There are people who are now able to, thanks to podcasts like yours, and um, we did a show uh, called Better Than Yesterday, which is a mental health podcast, and there are hundreds and hundreds of podcasts and tv shows and that, that sort of thing where people go wow i'm i'm not I, everyone feels like this or that person feels the same way i am and they are talking about it in a way which makes total sense to me i'm not alone now i get it and now i can now 
you know, adopt those tools to see if that can help me or figure out my own way to combat this. So it is changing. There's a lot of work to do, but we're, we're getting there. It's much, much better. We are my generation. And I'm especially proud of a lot of my friends who grew up with me in that sort of tougher environment. We uh, are not afraid to love our babies and to kiss them and cuddle them. And, you know, we were deprived of that uh, from our fathers, not from our mothers, but from our fathers. But we can change that and turn that around. We can be good fathers and, and love our babies the way our fathers should have been loved, but they, they weren't. And it's a cultural thing too, and then also the war that we experienced, you know, World War One, World War Two, and then coming back from the war, like my grandparents' generation as well. And then especially in Japan, we are economically very depressed, um, oppressed, and then you know the recovery from the World War Two as well. I'm sure that contributed for our mental mentality to be um, recovering from it, and then really catching up other countries as well so we have to really put our minds to work 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 and not really do the self-care or whatever just to compete and then be academically economically competitive with the other world our world as well yeah to 100 totally agree that's my that's always been uh you know from a uk perspective that's always been what i've blamed it on is the there was a we our fathers and their fathers had fathers who fought in a war and who had nothing worth surviving on rations. They had to deal with a sort of blitz mentality. They had to live in desperate times. So they became tough because these tough times bred tough men. And those tough men had tough sons. And they were, and it was just a product of the age that they were in. But now we live in an age where actually we see that that is damaging. And, you know, men aren't, haven't historically have been that good at maintaining relationships, whether it be marriages or friendships. But now we're much, we're much better able to do that. We're much better equipped at this generation. We don't want to go too far where we're, you know, we're, we're too soft on and we, we raise a generation that's too soft and too mollycoddled because unfortunately the world is cruel and people can be cruel. But we are able to say, listen, I love you. The world is tough. I'm going to try and help you as best I can prepare for that. But if it gets too tough, I'm right here and I'll help you navigate it. We can say that to our children now and, and it's a totally normal and, and okay. Thank you so much for um, having this discussion. And it's interesting because I obviously grew up in Japan and then I came to America. And then now we're talking UK, America, Japan, like mental health and then the men. Um, and I feel like a lot of our generation suffer from the lack of affection from the parents. So had it happened, say, for instance, even the bullying was happening, if there was really consistent love and affirmation, and that bullying can subside and maybe can move forward a little bit. So I think when you think about the overall picture of the history of the war, fighting the Brits mentality, like, you know, you have to be tough, and then the men have to like really not talk about these mental health issues and depressions and identify what it is. I think that really contributes to that. And then I think that's our generation's like overall kind of universal suffering. Yeah, that's right. It's a generational curse that we have the, that you and I have the power to break. 
Um, I mean, I see, I, sh- I shared recently a post from Twitter where someone, and, and it, this comes up once a year, where some famous person, there's a picture of them kissing their baby, giving their son or daughter a kiss. And then there is so much abuse and there's so many because it's not okay it's not okay for a man to kiss his son or kiss his daughter um and show that kind of affection it's 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 weird and people get you know people think it's weird and they get sort of attacked for it and i'm so against that i mean i will i'll kiss my son until he's older he doesn't want me to do it anymore because it's embarrassing you know what i mean i i want to be affectionate i want him to be able to i mean Growing up for me, my mother was amazing and so affectionate, but it also cut that almost comes at a price because my mother would envelop me into this safe, loving world full of laughter and comfort at home. And then I would leave the house and suddenly the real world was much, much colder because the, the difference between the real world and my life at home was so was so drastic it's so cold out there people are going to be mean to you and people are going to punch you and hurt you and hurt your feelings but then i'd come home and my mum would just protect me from all those things and i could never do anything wrong my mum would always say oh baby you know you didn't do anything wrong and she'd always shield me but in that shielding as much as i'm grateful for that shielding i also never learned how to properly defend myself or how to prepare for a world that was indifferent to whether or not i was sad you know what i mean so i had to prepare myself properly It's a hard balance and, you know, as cruel as it is for the outside world and the mother's love and the protection were there for you, you know, there's a gap and then also the navigation part of it. It's very hard to navigate, like, you know, whether you're in anywhere on the world. So, Steve, thank you so much for sharing all these adversities and challenges that you faced. And I'm sorry that happened to you. But let's actually move on to our second question, which is the tools that you use to overcome. So this part of the podcast, I've had so many guests sharing about really useful tools that they use. Um, and then what what I really hate, um, to be honest, is that when I share my adversity, people will say, oh, just find therapists, you need a therapist, but the therapist usually is maybe once a week or once in two weeks, and then they're not there when you're having panic attack, when you're having a depression, and then when you are really trying to survive. So then you become really vulnerable to this mental stage that um, a lot of guests share great techniques and then great tools that they actually applied for these situations. So Steve, how would you say the tools that most worked for you to overcome to where you are today? Well, I was fortunate growing up to have uh, my core friendship group was a, and this isn't a, a tool necessarily that people can obviously adopt and use, but for just to give you some perspective, my my best friends, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago are still my best friends today. And having them, in lieu of missing family members or family that weren't there has always gave me a structure and a sounding board and some kind of always gave me safety and love when I wasn't getting it necessarily from anywhere else. But when they weren't there and in the sort of later years when I was very, very depressed and by myself and homeless and all these terrible things I had to sort of experience here are the things that I felt. And if you're listening to this, and you're looking for 
tools to help you escape th- depression or anxiety. There is no one answer. And I'm not telling you this as a, here's what I did, so it will work for you. This is just my experience. And you might find that on another episode, they might have an answer that is much better for you. But for me, it comes down to gratitude, for one, because we can totally lose perspective of the gift of life and what we have and the, and the things that we've been given. So before, if I'm in a really bad episode, before I go to sleep, I like to write three things I like about myself and three things that I'm grateful for. So, uh, you know, I like my, even if it's stuff like I like my shoulders or I like this or I like that, I'm grateful for my friends. I'm grateful that I've got a roof over my head tonight because for many, many months and for a very long time, I was sleeping in the snow, sleeping in the bed. I came out on 